Welcome to the PFF Wire podcast. I'm Doug Kide, joined as always by Brad Spielberger. Brad, how are you doing on this Friday afternoon? Doing well, because as much as Zach Taylor tried to kill our uh, Bengals team total over 26 and a half, he was not able to defeat us. We, we beat him by, by the hook, so I'm doing pretty well today. How about you? Absolutely. I'm doing fine. Just off the top here, make sure to subscribe to the PFF Wire podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop a review in there as well uh, as if you don't want to watch us on YouTube. But let's start off by talking about last night's Dolphins-Bengals game. And obviously, the thing that everyone has to talk about is the Tua Tonga-Vailoa injury. Uh, you know, We saw him on Sunday hit his head against the turf. Uh, he got up stumbling. It appeared at the time that he had a concussion because the Dolphins even announced that he was going to be you know, evaluated for a head injury. He wound up coming back in that game. It was reported that it was actually back and ankle injuries. Then you fast forward to Thursday. He takes another big hit, this time very clearly a concussion, misses the rest of the game. And the question here is whether the Dolphins should have put him on the field at all on Thursday. That's a very fair question. I think that my biggest takeaway here is that the concussion protocols need to be amended in some way. That if you see a guy hit his head against the turf, get up stumbling, that should probably be you know immediate grounds for taking him out of the game, not allowing him to continue. But this all comes down to the team physician and an independent neurologist, and those are ultimately the people who allowed Tua Tagovailoa to come back into that game on Sunday and then to also play on Thursday. So you mentioned there's there are some instances where it should be an automatic exclusion from the rest of the game, and there's actually a checklist that's called the no-go symptoms and things that happen, and a lack of balance is on that list. And I think what you saw from Tua Tagovailoa on Sunday in week three would qualify, but you're allowed to override that, I suppose, and pass the test and get through it. We had Andrew Whitworth, you know, who played into his age 40 season for the Rams, talk on the broadcast about how he was able to overcome the test and get back on the field, even knowing he probably was concussed. So I think it should be automatic to where if anything looks that way, you're just automatically out. We exercise caution. I will say um, it has been interesting. T Higgins looked like he got concussed last Sunday as well. He took a nasty hit in that game against the Jets, hit, hit the back of his head on the turf, um, and obviously had a phenomenal game last night. Was probably the you know the top receiver for either team. So it, it needs to be happening all across the board. But I, I do think Tua's was really bad. Where it, it just seems so obvious, and then the inevitable you know awful outcome that fencing response um, yeah. last night just just hard to watch. And I think that you know it, the Dolphins have been very insistent that. Tuatango Bailoa did not have a head injury on Sunday. Clearly, at this point, that's what they're going to have to say. The NFLPA is investigating this. Um, I would even say that, you know, maybe putting him out there with the back injury, if it was bad enough that he was stumbling on the field on Sunday, I think it's certainly possible that a back injury could force you not to brace on a hit like the one that he took well, and that, you know, could have had something to do with the fact that he, he took that hit so hard. But ultimately, I think that, you know, it's it's tough to blame this unnamed faceless doctor or these two doctors who ultimately are the ones who allowed Tua to return to the game on Sunday and then allowed him to play on Thursday. But I know that Mike McDaniel is the most forward-facing employee on the Dolphins, and so it's very easy to blame him for allowing Tua to play. But I don't know. I mean, if doctors are saying that it wasn't a head injury, which is clearly the case with the Dolphins organization right now, if doctors are saying that Tua could return on Sunday and that he could play on Thursday – 
I thought that Mike McDaniel made a, a decent point on uh, Friday today during a news conference that said when he was saying that, you know, if a doctor is saying that he can play, then like at what point would I allow a player to play if it's up to me? Because these guys are always dealing with injuries. Um, head injuries are, are part of football. Uh, I'm of the I'm of the belief that you know Tua should not have finished that game on Sunday because of the hit they took to the back of his back of his head, and that he probably also should not have played on Thursday because of that as well. Uh, but it's just it's tough for me to blame the player or the head coach if this situation is being put in their hands. I think that it needs to be taken out of their hands to begin with. Yeah, I mean, players have every incentive to get back out there. It's the unfortunate reality of the situation, both in the in the interim of when it's happening and also just long-term to not be labeled as a guy who suffered from concussions when it comes to signing contracts and stuff like that. So I also think, last point, you made a great point pre-show that you know McDaniel has to be the face because they don't have an owner right now. The Dolphins right. are currently ownerless, and I think it may even play into – I don't I remember the last time a different coach, and John Harbaugh said he was astounded that Tua Tagovailoa was able to play on Thursday. Yeah. Most coaches won't even talk about their own guys' injuries. Right. I found it interesting and notable. He actually commented on another team's injury. I think that kind of says a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, most teams, yeah, I mean, you'd have the owner out there maybe talking about this, or maybe he's the one who might get final say on this. Uh, Steven Ross right now is suspended due to the tampering investigation. So, you know, this comes down to, you know, Mike McDaniel, the GM, uh, other top people in the, but ultimately it, it comes down to the doctor and the doctor is the one who has to approve this. And I think that that's probably where the blame should lay on this. We'll see what the NFLPA finds in their investigation. Uh, some breaking news as we're recording this show, Mac Jones officially out on Sunday against the Green Bay Packers. This was an interesting situation because I was told on Thursday that, you know, then that was after a lot of these reports had come out that, you know, it was possible that Mac Jones was going to play, that he was pushing to play. I was told on Thursday that they were, a person within the organization would be shocked if Mac Jones wound up playing in that game. And that is, uh, you know, that, that was that was the right tell here because Mac Jones is now out dealing with a high ankle sprain. Um, I wrote today in a mailbag that Tom Brady actually played on high ankle sprains multiple times for the Patriots. Once was in... 2008 for the Super Bowl, the, the undefeated Super Bowl that they were playing against the New York Giants. And he played on a high ankle sprain again during the 2015 playoffs. But, you know, obviously those were both playoff situations with Tom Brady, who's played through a million different injuries in the past. With Mac Jones right now, he's a young quarterback. He's more mobile than Tom Brady. This is not a playoff game. This is a game that the Patriots probably would lose regardless of whether Mac Jones is playing or not. So I think that this was definitely the smart decision to take it out of Mac Jones' hands, say, you're not playing, rest up, Brian Horry will play on Sunday, and we'll see when you can come back. I think it was probably mostly gamesmanship, just making the Green Bay right. Packers stay honest and study both quarterbacks. And, you know, I think interesting thing is the Packers have been susceptible on the ground. I agree with you. It's probably not a game they're going to win, but they can try to use that running back committee and just keep it a, you know, kind of like that Buffalo game in the terrible weather last year um, where you don't, even, you don't even complete a pass and, and try to win that way. Um, but yeah, it's just, it seemed crazy that he was trending towards maybe playing. I think it was probably a little bit facetious from, from the Patriots. Yeah. And I mean, I thought the messaging out of Foxborough was so strange all week where Mac Jones on Monday was saying that he was day to day. He said that about 11 times, I think during the press conference, Bill Belichick, I think said it even more on Wednesday where he was kind of doing his usual on to Cincinnati shtick this time going with day to day instead, but he was doing it with a smile on his face. And then today, uh, during his news conference, 
he he went on a, a pretty long like historical diatribe about the Green Bay Packers off the top. On his, he went into Don Hudson and how the NFL draft was actually formed because Don Hudson had agreed to sign with the Giants and the Packers. It was like this like ten minute, five minute long thing, and then finally someone was like. Uh, is, is Mac Jones going to play on Sunday? And he smiled and he said, well, we'll see. And he, he just like kind of made a joke out of it again. So, you know, that was probably more gamesmanship, getting the Packers to prepare for a couple of different quarterbacks. But one thing I thought was funny, I forgot who exactly reported this, but it was that the Patriots were going to have two different game plans, one for Mac Jones and one for Brian Hoyer. I don't know if you necessarily need two different game plans. Like they're, they're not that dissimilar as quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I don't think the playbook is super different, depending on which guy's out there. I, I don't think the the option was getting removed because Mac <laughs> right. Jones is not playing. Um, let's uh, obviously we kind of had to jump in and talk there about Mac Jones for a little bit. But uh, did you have any other main major takeaways from the Dolphins Bengals game on Thursday? Since that's still fresh in our minds, I, I think that it's kind of a tough game to evaluate since Tua did leave early in the game. But at the same time, the Bengals are now two and two. They're looking a lot better than they were two weeks ago. Yeah, you know, I do think it, it it is hard to take away narratives for either team, but but I will say something I found interesting, and we had a commenter here mention how you know the, the turnaround to Thursday is not long enough, and maybe this has something to do with what I'm about to talk about, and that's pregame before I was looking at some stats, and and Joe Burrow is very very good against cover zero and cover one, which means either no safeties back or one safety in the middle of the field back. Um, he's the fifth highest PFF passing grade the last two years and is second in yards per attempt at 10 yards per attempt against that coverage. Um, and, and I and I was putting this out on Twitter and someone responded how the Dolphins actually against Josh Allen played a ton of too high, had a lot of too high safeties, did a lot of different things. And that actually you know played a big role in them winning the game. They did not do that last night. Even after yeah. Xavier Howard went out, their top corner, who was basically on an island, they then had you know undrafted free agent depth corners still playing those roles. Um, I want to say I don't think our charting is done yet, but they may have played even more cover zero than their typical you know per game average, mm-hmm. um, and it led to a lot of deep shots down the sideline to T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. I guess that was kind of just a blown coverage, but nevertheless. Um, that also, I'm guessing, maybe has something to do with the short week that Miami had to stick to their right. bread and butter. They could yeah. not install or run a ton of reps of a different look, even though they did just use it um, the previous week against Josh Allen. But, you know, just found that interesting that they stuck to what they are used to using, and, and Burrow kills it, and, and he didn't even play that well, but right. had enough chunk plays that his, his numbers look great um, just because, he had, yeah, he had a bunch of explosives. Yeah, Joe Burrow went 20 of 31, 287 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And yeah, I think that you're also maybe seeing from that Dolphins defense right now where, you know, Xavier Howard comes out of the game with a groin injury. You don't have Byron Jones. That cornerback depth is already being tested. And these aren't a ton of experienced players that are in there as well. So if you're asking them to go from cover three to cover two, to cover one to cover zero to cover six on a, on a play-to-play basis, that works when you've got six-year vets out there, and it works probably with, with the safeties that they might have on the field, but certainly not with a lot of the young cornerbacks that they're having to put out there. But, yeah, definitely a strange decision uh, to go with so much man coverage given that tested depth at cornerback uh, for the Dolphins. They'll be in much better shape if they can get Xavier Howard and Byron Jones back on the field together. But now Byron Jones eligible to come back, Xavier Howard clearly dealing with that groin injury, so we'll see when they can actually share the field together. Another big takeaway for me in that game is just 
how rough of shape the Bengals run the rushing attack is. I mean, Joe Mixon, he had a really nice bounce back season last year where he wasn't as good, dealt with some injuries in 2020, was very good last season. I think that this is a an issue that's kind of twofold for the Bengals right now is that the Bengals offensive line is not getting a, a good enough push for Joe Mixon to actually like work up to anything. And then he's also not doing a good enough job of creating plays after contact. So not only is his yards before contact way down, his yards after contact are way down right now too. Uh, only had 61 yards on 24 carries, a long rush of seven yards. And the touchdown that he had, it took the entire offensive line to push him over the goal line. Like Teddy Karras came in there at the end and just kind of like shoved the whole pile forward. It's not like that was some impressive, you know, 10 yard run or, or impressive gallop that he had there. It took the entire team to get a push there. So I'm not sure if it's the offensive line not gelling right now, if it, it's going to take a while for everything to come together, if it's some injuries that a guy like Lyle Collins is dealing with, but that rushing attack is just rough right now. Yeah, it's, it's awful. And look, I, you know, we're not trying to say we're smarter than, than head coaches, but last night was crazy to where you're literally getting two yeah. yards of carry every single time. You're, we talk about the Bengals taking so many sacks. Yeah, when you have second and eight every single possession and then right. third and eight a lot of the time, you're going to take a lot of sacks. They actually yeah. didn't last night. But right. just, just not putting the offense in a position to succeed whatsoever over and over and over again. I mean, that could have lost to Teddy Bridgewater at home. With all the injuries Miami had, they still easily could have lost that game without that late interception um, for Von Bell, his second of the game. It, it was just, it was, it was mind-boggling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's get into some injuries from around the NFL right now. Uh, as a reminder, there is a 9:30 a.m. Eastern London game for all of you West Coasters. Have fun waking up at. 6 a.m. to catch some some Saints and Vikings football. I think that I would probably do that. I, I'm I'm that sick in the head about football that I would probably wake up at 6 a.m. Andy, Andy Dalton with breakfast. <laughs> Absolutely, I love it, love it. But yeah, uh, it, as you just alluded to, Jameis Winston doubtful for that game against the Vikings. So Andy Dalton likely going to be the starter for the Saints in London against the Vikings, but. He will be without Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas has been ruled out for that game. On the Viking side of the ball, uh, Delvin Cook will be playing against the New Orleans Saints. But I'm a little curious to see how Andy Dalton looks, even though he will be without Michael Thomas. That Saints offense has just been rough so far that I'm curious to see if Andy Dalton can can make it look a little bit better. Um, you know, as I mentioned, being without Michael Thomas, that certainly hurts. But uh, this could become a quarterback controversy if the Saints offense plays well in this game. Yeah, I mean, the pass block unit is currently ranked sixth per our grading through week three, so they've been holding up, you know, in yeah. terms of that. it's The the issue is Jameis Winston's average depth of target is 12 yards. Um, Andy Dalton average day, I, I looked at it yesterday, or earlier today, I want to say like seven yards, like almost yeah. half his average depth right. of target throwing the ball down the field. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't think he's better than Jameis Winston, but – the loss of Michael Thomas is huge because you, I would argue, some more underneath passing, hitting Jarvis Landry, who's also not 100%, um, and Alvin Kamara in the receiving game, getting him going in that facet, which has not been the case so far. Also, some more underneath passing against a very susceptible and just not good, you know, back seven for the Minnesota Vikings, I think would be a potential winning strategy. But a lot of injuries, a lot of losses there. Andres Pete, their left guard, also not playing in the game. Um, but they could. I mean, rookie Chris Olave has been a obviously a phenom so far. He could beat this very vulnerable Viking secondary. Um, you know, it, maybe a controversy is possible. It's an interesting thought, no question. 
Uh, Jarvis Landry also has been playing relatively well early this season. And, you know, the Saints adding all of that wide receiver depth after how depleted it was over the last couple seasons with Michael Thomas out has certainly helped. Uh, some late breaking news here. We've got Keenan Allen out again on Sunday against the Houston Texans. Uh, Justin Herbert has been practicing in full, so certainly looks like he'll be out there. But, I mean, this this un- injury bug is not going away for the Chargers anytime soon right now. Yeah, it's tough, too, because he practiced in a limited capacity yesterday, and then there was a report that at the end of practice or near the end yeah. of practice, he left early with a trainer. I, I would imagine he had a setback, and, and this is the issue with hamstring injuries a lot of the time. It's such a tough injury to not re-aggravate. And, I, again, you know, we're not doctors, and I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing that's what happened there. It's, it's a notable loss. I mean, Josh Palmer and Mike Williams were pretty productive last week against Jacksonville. Um, or they were not productive, I should say. Excuse me. Um, and 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 now they have a Houston team that, yes, yeah, not a juggernaut, but a good young secondary with guys like Derek Stanley playing well. Um, it's, I mean, the Chargers need to win this football game, and it's just, it's tough without Keenan Allen. It definitely is. And uh, I was trying to bring up the, the odds up real quick that I, last time I was looking at the AFC South, uh, you know, who's going to win the AFC South odds. Houston Texans were plus like 3,300, something like that, uh, I think. And um, I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> wasting everyone's time here. Okay, the Colts are plus 105, Jaguars plus 220, Titans plus 280, and the Texans are plus 3,300, which I, I, I don't know. I mean, if they beat the, if they beat the Chargers – those odds are going to be shortened significantly. I'm not sure if this is a, a smart bet or anything to make there, but it's just something to watch that I, I just, that, that division is so wide open right now that I'm kind of shocked at how high of underdogs uh, the Texans are, because I, I do feel like a win over the Chargers but maybe change some people's minds about them. We'll see what actually happens there. Uh, some other late breaking news here. I'm on Ross St. Brown out for the Lions against the Seattle Seahawks. We've got DeAndre Swift also out against the Seahawks. Um, and then on the receiver side for the for the Lions, DJ Chark, questionable. Josh Reynolds, questionable. Then the expectation is that both those guys are going to play, but Lions offense has looked really good for, through the first three weeks of the season, despite the fact that Jared Goff hasn't played exceptionally well. Amon Ross St. Brown is a, a massive hit to that offense, though. I mean, truly one of the bigger losses. He's the wide receiver five in fantasy football right now, half point PPR. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a huge loss. They, they have the most offensive touchdowns in the NFL. They're tied with Lamar Jackson. I think we talked about that. Um, but, you know, a top five offense and EPA per play, they've, they've been playing very well. Um, he is a massive loss. And I still think Chark, you know, against a vulnerable secondary is probably a good play. The Seattle Seahawks are dead last in EPA per drop back allowed. So a vulnerable secondary and a team that can be beaten through the air. Um, but like you mentioned, he's also not 100% himself with his own ankle injury. So maybe a TJ Hawkinson game. You know, you never know when he's going to break out and have a huge game. Um, but yeah, that offense, you cannot expect him to be as good without Amon Ross St. Brown in there. Uh, we've got a comment in here that it's the AFC South is the Jags division. Uh, I tweeted about this. It's not really injury related, but the Jaguars have been playing Darius Williams in the slot so far this season, which when they signed Darius Williams and when I was kind of getting reports out of training camp that Darius Williams was playing in the slot, that it surprised the hell out of me because Darius Williams in his career 
before joining the Jaguars, only played in the slot for about 4% of defensive snaps. He's already played more snaps this season for the Jaguars than he did in all of his time with the Los Angeles Rams. And he's grading out at like a 32.1 uh, PFF grade in coverage right now. So I was looking into it to see, you know, who the who the Eagles slot receiver for this game could be, because that would be a pretty decent fantasy play, DFS play. Uh, and they kind of vary their slot snaps between Quez Watkins. Um, you've got Devontae Smith. You've got A.J. Brown. Uh, you also have Dallas Goddard playing in the slot a little bit. But the most productive slot receiver for the Eagles so far this season has been Devontae Smith. And, you know, Darius Williams and Devontae Smith, two kind of slimmer guys. You could certainly see that being a matchup. So at least in one DFS lineup, I've got a stack of Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith. I kind of like the Devontae Smith play maybe even a little bit more than A.J. Brown this week. Yeah, I like that too because I I do like what Mike Caldwell, the new DC in, in, in Jacksonville, has done up front. I, I like them adding Arden Key, and they've used him how I think they should. A little bit outside, a little bit inside. Javon Walker, the, you know, the first overall pick looks good. I think Josh Allen, the edge rusher, Josh Allen, is kind of butting into a top ten, top fifteen edge great. rusher. Um, but if there's one team with an offensive line that can negate that, it's probably the Philadelphia Eagles. And so maybe they can then pick apart the secondary. But yeah, it is interesting. I mean, Tyson Campbell, the, the the second round pick from last year, played a lot in the slot last year if i remember correctly so you know pushing him back on the outside probably makes sense he's a you know a bigger physical guy from georgia um but yeah darius williams i think we all we see a five eight five nine guy in a right. slot that's not where he won in los angeles and they gave him a solid contract you'd think you're going to give a guy you know three years about 30 million dollars you probably play him where he's been been thriving for several years yeah, it was it was odd. Like, as you mentioned, I mean, Darius Williams is only 5'9", 180, something like that. But Jalen Ramsey played along the slot. Other guys played in the slot there in that Rams defense. And I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, it Hopefully for his sake and for the Jaguars sake and everything, he can turn that around. He can start playing better in the slot. Maybe he can get used to it a little bit more because he does have the body type. But it just the success has not been there so far. Uh, let's talk about the Buccaneers Chiefs game. You've got Chris Godwin and Julio Jones, both reportedly game time decisions. Those guys both questionable to play against the Chiefs. So um, th- this could be a, I mean, depending on whether those guys play or not, at least Tom Brady's going to have Chris Evans and Mike Evans uh, this week, but could be another slog for Tom Brady in that offense. Tom Brady getting Captain America on his team. I know. So the guy gets everyone. It's so unfair. No, or the Bengals uh, running back. Had to be done. <laughs> or, or the Bengals running back, Chris Evans. I, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's a double. Yeah. Chris Evans can go both ways. Uh, I think I'd rather have uh, Captain America on my, on my team. <laughs> um, no, it, like you said, it, it can swing the game. It's going to be huge. I mean, even Russell Gage is still not 100%. Um, you know, they just cannot stay healthy, but we probably should see some Cole Beasley this week, um, you know, against a, a Saints defense that is playing much better, but still can be picked apart a little bit, um, you know, if you can hold up with, with the offensive line. So, you know, I, I know you have some thoughts on that game, but yeah, they just they just cannot get healthy receiver and they need it. I mean, that offense did not look good against the Packers. Yeah, I was uh, checking out PFF's best bets before we started the show and uh, we've got a, a pretty significant edge on the Buccaneers being favored by one point by the Buccaneers money line, which is only minus 111 right now. And then also the edge on the over at 45 and a half points. This game's in Tampa. I mean, fans are going to be fired up for this one because they were the game was actually allowed to stay in Tampa despite Hurricane Ian, which obviously ripped through that area. So fans are definitely going to be jazzed up for that one. Um, and the Chiefs have been 
good this season, but they're also coming off a loss to the what looked like the lowly Indianapolis Colts the first two weeks of the season. So the Chiefs are certainly beatable. And, yeah, I, I do. I kind of like the Buccaneers in this game. Yeah, no, I totally understand it, and, and I trust me, when I go against Green Line, I try it every once in a while, it rarely goes well. So I, <laughs> I think I see what they're seeing there, though, as well. I, I think, you know, the Chiefs were massive favorites on the road last week. To make them favor, you know, big favorites again is probably a bit of a you know miscalculation there. So, you know, Tampa, it's a big get-right game for them as well. A couple other bets uh, that, uh, you know, Green Line likes in this game is actually Patrick Mahomes under one-and-a-half passing touchdowns and also Tom Brady under one and a half passing touchdowns. So those could certainly be interesting bets as well. Uh, let's get into a game that I know that you'll be paying close attention to, and that's the Bears and Giants. The Giants will still be without uh, Wandale Robinson and Kadarius Tony. The Bears will be without David Montgomery and Jalen Johnson. Vilas Jones, the Bears rookie wide receiver, questionable for the first time this season. I think he had been doubtful and didn't play through the first three weeks of the season. So one thing I'm curious about in this game is who the Giants put out there at wide receiver, whether you know we finally actually start to see Kenny Galladay getting more snaps, getting more targets out there, if it's going to continue to be Richie James and David Sills, uh, what exactly is the plan there? But I know we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday. It's hilarious that one of these teams is going to be 3-1 and after this weekend. It, it really is, and I think it'll be more hilarious once we actually see the on-field product. Uh, I mean, it might look like a 1930s football game. They're both you know, some of the better running, running uh, offenses so far this year. But, yeah, they're both, I want to say, 31st and 32nd in sacks per dropback. Um, they're, you know, the pressures they're actually allowing are, are near the top of the league as well. Um, and yeah, now that I'm missing a bunch of receivers, the Bears without Byron Pringle does sound like rookie Vilas Jones Jr. should make his debut after being a full participant. I think the first time in his career, he was a full participant in practice. Um, but yeah, I mean, even with David Montgomery out, we saw Khalil Herbert last week for the Chicago Bears, 157 yards on the ground, six explosive rushes, seven forced missed tackles on carries, the explosive rushes, the yards, and the forced missed tackles all led running backs last week. So I think it's going to be a, you know, a, a not a shootout. Yeah, whatever a shootout is where you only run the ball, I don't even know what you call that. Um, because, you know, the defense are both vulnerable. Leonard Williams not playing for the Giants is a big deal for their run defense. And the Bears just do not have that good of a run defense themselves. So I'll be paying attention. Unfortunately, I will be paying a lot of attention. Yeah. It, it reminds me of, <laughs> I know I talked about this, but Bill Belichick's like monologue at the top of his press, press conference today. He was like, he was basically talking about like the invention of the passing game. And that, that does kind of, it's, it's apropos to this, this Bears Giants game where they're going to have to like, like reinvent the passing game or discover the passing game. They need they need Don Hudson in there. But one of the funniest things was that Belichick just like drops players who played in the 30s their last names. So today he was like Hinkle, Isbell, Hutton. Like who the hell knows who Hinkle is? Like I'm sorry, you I don't know. know like, I'm not the like the NFL historian that Bill Belichick is, but I was like, I was just watching at home. I wasn't in Foxborough for that or anything, but I'm like, I could just imagine everyone in there just like desperately Googling, like who the hell is Hinkle who played for the Green Bay Packers in the 1930s? Um, but yeah, that, that might uh, be reminiscent of what that Giants-Bears game yeah. looks like. Uh, another interesting matchup, Bills-Ravens. You've got Gabe Davis questionable for this one. I believe that he told reporters that he will play in this game, but... This has just been a pretty fun start to the season where you're seeing these these like contending teams go up against each other. And it's going to be really fun to see how the Bills and Ravens match up this week in general. 
Yeah, it's really interesting to me. Not that I want to say I sh you should bet on it, but the fact that Baltimore are three-point home underdogs um, yeah. with all the injuries Buffalo has. They go out and sign Xavier Rhodes, their practice squad, the corner, and he now has a hamstring injury and is not expected to be available. So, you know, Lamar's been incredible so far. Obviously, Josh Allen, and the, you know, they've been good too, and the Ravens' defense has some question marks. That being said, Jason Pierre-Paul, I believe, will play, make his debut for Baltimore this weekend. Um, but, no, I'm with you. There's, I feel like there has been a lot of more early season marquee matchups not within the division this game should be awesome yeah and uh one note on that one uh the ravens will be down to their fourth left tackle once again in that game or at least it looks like it uh patrick mccarty is doubtful with his ankle injury i was told that since he's playing left tackle and that injury i believe is to his left ankle it's the back foot on his kickback at left at left tackle. So that's one of the reasons why the Ravens were going to be a little bit more cautious about it, be a little bit smarter about it. Um, you know, maybe sit him out a, a week or two, make sure that he gets it right. But you're going to see Daniel Falele starting there at left tackle, most likely, unless they put Zach Johnson or one of their practice squad guys out there. But um, yeah, I mean, that's a really difficult matchup. You're probably going to have to see them putting, you know, an extra tight end, maybe Josh Oliver or Patrick Ricard, one of those guys, out there at left tackle to give him a little bit of help because that's what we saw them do against New England on Sunday where Dietrich Wise had three sacks in like five minutes of that game. They started putting some help out there and Daniel Flaley calmed down a little bit. They were able to pull back the help a little bit. But, I mean, that that Bills pass rush is significantly more difficult to defend than the Patriots pass rushes. That is bad news, Bears. Yeah, with all due respect to Daniel Flaley, I mean, he was getting beat at the Senior Bowl when you and I were there fairly right. consistently on his pass protection sets. Um, yeah, I mean, Von Miller, Carlos Basham, and Gregory Rousseau are currently top 10 edge rushers for us. So whoever is going up against him, it's going to be barbecue chicken. Um, that is that is interesting. I, I thought Stanley maybe was going to be able to play. Um, I know he missed practice today, oh, yeah, but no, I read that it was for rest. Um, right. but, oh, yeah, no, so he might actually be back. No, that's a good point. That would be um, huge for the – like massive for the Ravens. Yeah, I just completely glossed that over. But, yeah, you're right that he was back at practice. I think one of the Ravens writers, maybe that was because he sat out of practice for rest. They also were considering the weather in that game that maybe it wouldn't be best to put him out there right away. But, no, that would definitely be massive if Ronnie Stanley can return for that game. And, yeah, good call on that because that's something that – Totally glossed over. Uh, do you have any favorite bets for this week? I do have a couple of favorite bets for this week. So we haven't talked about, I think, either of these games. So the Browns, um, I like the Browns. You can either get the minus one, uh, maybe even get you know a money line, depending where you're betting. Uh, they are going to, I think, run roughshod over the Atlanta Falcons defense. They have one of the worst run defenses in football. I want to say the worst in EPA per, you know, per play allowed against rushes. Um, and, and I like their defense to, to hold up. Obviously, a good secondary getting healthy now. Yeah, some questions. Can Miles Garrett play after he crashed his car? Can Jadavion right. Connie return? Those are questions, but um, I still like the uh, the Cleveland Browns in that game. The other, the other play I like is the over in the Colts-Titans games. Yes, division games tend to go under. I want to say they're 15-1 and one to the under so far in division games. At the same time, when there's been that many unders in division games, maybe the number is a bit too low, um, but I also just like it. There, you know, Kevin Byard did not practice today. Amani Hooker, I believe, is ruled out. So both of those great safeties for the Titans, I think, may not play in this game. They basically had no pass rush after losing Harold Landry. The Colts offense, you know, starting to finally click a little bit, get healthy as well. Um, so I, I like that play as well. Yeah, hey, am I missing something on that Browns Falcons line? Like, why are the Browns only favored by one point? I know it's in Atlanta, but 
Browns have been good this season. Like I know I'm waiting for I'm waiting like everyone else is for like the floor to drop out on Jacoby Brissett and for him to uh, return back to normal. But I mean, Browns have been good, and the Falcons, at least heading into the season, were thought to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. I'm guessing it's the injury to Garrett. I mean, he's probably, you know, like a TJ Watt where, you know, most non-quarterbacks are not going to affect a spread. Garrett's probably a one, maybe one and a half point guy, um, you know, which is why it's kind of below a key number of a field goal. But, I mean, hey, that's that's why I want to bet it. So I'm glad glad you see it the same way. (laughs) I am right there with you. All right. Well, I think that will do it for this week's PFF Wire or today's uh, PFF Wire. You just threw in a question here. Real quick before Uh, we go. Yeah, your thoughts on starting Goddard or TJ Hawkinson full PPR at the option to run them both? Kind of like Dallas Goddard, just because he does play in the slot a lot. Uh, and we mentioned Darius Williams struggled so far this season. What are your thoughts on this? I would counter if they do throw linebackers on him. Um, Devin right. Lloyd, the rookie first rounder for the Jaguars, has four pass defect deflections, two interceptions, a solid coverage grade, and then their big ticket free agent acquisition, Foyasada Luakun, um, also a decent coverage player. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I actually like both, um, but you know, I think because of the injuries in Detroit and Seattle's secondary being maybe the worst in the NFL, I would lean Hawkinson. But yeah, I, I agree with you. You probably can't go wrong. Yeah, no, I think that both of those are good choices. And, yeah, certainly the injury to Amon Ra St. Brown should help TJ Hawkinson get a few more targets out there, though I'm kind of questioning how efficient that offense will be. Over, But I'm here, I'm like the biggest Amon Ra St. Brown fan in the world. <laughs> I shouldn't be because I traded him away in Dynasty like right oh. before he went off last oh, season. Fortunately, fortunately, and this is going to be a daily segment of like all of my worst mistakes in fantasy. That is definitely among them. I feel better though because the person I traded him to immediately flipped him to someone else. So like we're on like multiple degrees of bad trades of Amon Ross St. Brown, and at least I'm not the the latest one. But yeah. I mean, I, thousand percent should have kept him all right well i think that will do it for today's pff wire keep it on pff.com for all of your news and analysis download the pff app subscribe to pff plus 79.99 a year follow brad on twitter at pff underscore brad follow me on twitter at doug kyden as i mentioned off the top if you don't want to watch us on youtube if you prefer to drive around and listen to us make sure to subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, to the PFF Wire podcast, and leave a review if you if you do or don't like what you're listening to. Just still give us a good review because yeah, that's just why not. Like, there's no reason to be mean. What's the downside? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just I don't know. Put, put us on someone else or something like that. All right. Well, that we'll do it. So we will talk to you guys again on Monday. Happy watching football this weekend.